Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Simon Dudley, Chief Contrarian for Accession Events. To learn more and for information about the book and other resources, please go to accessionevents.com. Hello there, this is Simon Dudley, the host of Accession Events podcast. Today, I've got Josh Strago with me. And Josh is, well, an old friend of mine. We've done a whole bunch of stuff together in the past, and I'm pleased to have him on the show. So, hi, Josh. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Simon. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I know this is an audio podcast, but we actually record this on video. And I have to say, I thought I had an amazing microphone, but Josh has got one that simply you could put a machine gun on if you chose to. It's a remarkable piece of technology. So we should be the richest podcast so far. Let's see how we get on today. Let's hope we're the most interesting too. Uh, we'll do what we can. <laughs> All right. So many of our listeners aren't going to, my listeners aren't going to know who you are. So Josh, I'm not going to do an intro because you're here and you're better at it than I am. So why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, you know, why, what makes you get up in the morning and we can start our conversation from there. Sounds good. Uh, so I work in the AV industry. I serve as manager of engineering for an integration firm in San Jose, California. Um, it's a small firm, little independent house, but it's, it's a good time. And then in addition to that, I spend time writing and trying to help the industry. So I, I founded soundreason.org, uh, originally with an effort to try and help sound engineers and musicians understand each other. And it's kind of evolved into something completely unexpected now where I talk a lot more about AV and policy and, and sort of technology and trying to keep positivity in the industry as opposed to the negativity that often often breeds with, uh, oh, this product is terrible. And uh, and then in addition to that, I work with Aviation. I'm the editor-in-chief uh, over at Aviation.tv and work with those guys to, again, just try and bring in a working professional's perspective to the industry and the news and, and really focus on the why of it all. Sure. In fact, I remember the first time we met was at Infocom, I believe. And we gave, we, you hosted a very interesting talk, which I tried to contribute to, about... Um, net neutrality and that was a few years ago and there's been some great uh steps forward on that i'm sure you'll have more to say on that topic later so one of the things i've done with the accession event podcast is interview professionals who've been doing this sort of work for a long time and finding out all the things that went horribly wrong and the reason i say that is because you read everyone's resume and they will tell you that they started at the age of 12 and they'd set up the first multi-million dollar business by the age of 15 and you know and everyone seems to have had this sort of wonderful uninterrupted uh successful career and of course it isn't true so one of the things i like to look at is when technological changes things i call accession events uh when these technological changes come along and redefine what success in markets look like it's happened to me a bunch of times. I'm not the brightest button in the box, but if it keeps happening to you, you kind of become aware of it over a while, over a period of time. I'm interested to know, Josh, what was your most extreme example of when suddenly everything in your market suddenly changed beyond all recognition? One, what was it? And two, what did you do about it? Uh, in my world, it was probably about four years ago. Uh, maybe a little longer than that, actually, now that I think about it. And it was it was the evolution of digital audio under a commercial space. Um, I graduated college and I got my degree specifically in audio recording, working in studios, things like that. So I was familiar with MIDI and I was familiar with uh, Pro Tools and, and various other recording softwares. But we didn't real, 
really deal with digital audio transportation a lot. And when I was working for a manufacturer of audio products at one point, I started researching this and trying to figure it out. And this is when Coburnet was still the dominant form of digital audio transportation and Dante was just starting to make it on the scene. And I just kept doing more and more research and I started to see what you were truly capable of with these things. And since then, I have completely watched it explode beyond just digital audio over category cable, but watching point to point with HD base T. And now you're looking at the evolution of uh, time sensitive networking with the Avenue Alliance. And just all of this has completely changed the way that I look at doing my systems when I am asked to design something or when I'm asked to uh, look at how technology in and of itself can be utilized for the customers, because that's, that's really what this is about is making sure that the technology is going to service their needs and making it as easy as possible. So my systems end up being a lot more uh, dis uh, a lot more centralized as opposed to the distribution systems because I'm able to do this now with the way the technology has evolved as opposed to these, okay, uh, the familiar hang and bang term that many integrators know of, hey, here's my display, here's my input, I'm done. Now it's, okay, I've got a building with 70 rooms in it and I can walk in, plug in a cable, the TV turns on, I unplug my cable, my TV turns off. And that's all they deal with. That That's all the customer has to do. And I wasn't really familiar with that aspect seven years ago. And now it's pretty much a, a big focal point of how I try and ease my designs to the corporate environments. So out of interest, right? So that was an example of a technological change that came along and revolutionized the market. Mm -hmm. What did you, how did you notice it? I mean, most people kind of basically get in, and certainly in all the historical experiences I've seen of it, most people get hit in the back of the head by an accession event. They're do it going along building wooden wheels and suddenly a Model T Ford drives over them with steel wheels and rubber tires and the world ends. So what did you, how did you, did you happen to be just looking in the right direction at the right time or was there a bit more to it than that? I'm very lucky in that I work with somebody who is constantly living on the bleeding edge of technology and wants to, he wants to put the product in its beta form in people's hands. <laughs> and he did this in a very, very small application. It was one room and I just happened to be there when it was going on. And it was kind of like, okay, well, that's great for a one room scenario, but let's think bigger and how can we expand this? And I saw it more from the standpoint of, the easier we make technology to understand and use, the more likely people are to use it. And it's, it doesn't get any simpler than literally plug and play. Uh, and trying to provide that for people who, I mean, even I, I get to work with companies in Silicon Valley and I, I don't care how tech, technologically advanced people in Silicon Valley think they are. <laughs> there's a lot of people that still don't understand that you know, it's they go into a room and they look for a remote control like they have at home. There are the people that want that go in and have the smart homes and have everything automated. And that's wonderful. And they're fun to talk to and fun to work with about what they believe they're capable of. And there's entirely different conversations. But you still have the teachers and you have other people who aren't necessarily that technological. So finding ways to make it easy for them is is wonder is always a it's it's a nice little puzzle. Yeah, as an old friend of mine once said, he said, you know, if uh, if you walk into a room and you ask the person you're speaking to, how much memory is in your laptop? And if they know the answer, 
they're probably not senior enough. 16 gig. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> touche. There's only a lot of that, is there? Um, okay, so how do you cope with the speed of change, right? We talk about, I talk about this all the time. The speed of change is increasing at a ludicrous rate. You know, we talk about whether it's, whether it's geometric or whether it's square law or, or whatever the law is or doubling every 18 months of its Moore's law. But actually, the re- someone worked out recently that because of the way that algorithms work as well as the connectedness of computers, the cheapness of hard disks and memory and all the other things that are going on, the computers of the era when I started in the mid-'80s are hundreds of millions of times less powerful than a modern computer is. And therefore, the potential to do so much more is there. How do you, have you got a strategy to keep up or do you just like keep running with the technology as fast as you can? So technology evolves at its own pace that is beyond anything that we can keep up with due to the fact that there is a compatibility factor that also has to be accounted for. So uh, the companies that are running at a million miles an hour to beat somebody else to the punch to provide a service or to provide an app, they're going to be, they want to be first to market. And uh, a good example of that might be something like Uber and Lyft right now. Both of these companies are battling hard to find ways, uh, both in the US and abroad, to uh, expand their markets for rideshare. But where I'm at, Lyft never comes up as a brand name anymore. It's all, oh, I got to call an Uber. I got to call an Uber. And when your company name becomes the verb, that's when you know you've sort of hit that extra little, uh, that extra little mile. So to keep up with those kinds of companies at that edge, I'm personally, I'm not that guy. I'm, go ahead. You run off and run off your cliff. If there's a cliff there and you want to run off it, it's by all means, I'm going st- to let you guys sort of duke it out and figure out how technology is going to evolve. Uh, I'm well known for being one of the biggest supporters uh, through some of the articles I've written of time-sensitive networking. And I am also one of their biggest critics uh, of the Avenue Alliance and how poorly they've uh, marketed the product when it came to bringing it into the AV space. I still believe to this day in 10 years, it's going to be the dominant form of signal transportation because of the way that they're going about it. But they're doing it methodically. They're doing it slowly. They're not they're not interested in today. They're interested in tomorrow. And it's those kinds of partnerships where you want to be cognizant of what's happening and how it's continuing to push forward. Dante is a wonderful tra- signal transportation. I love using it. It's worked great for me. I still see opportunities for other devices uh, like the time-sensitive networks and Avenue or AVB or however you want to call it. So it's... I pay a lot of attention to reading. I pay a lot of attention to what's going on or try to, uh, particularly because uh, at this point in time, the trend in the industry is to try and offer everything. More and more groups are saying, oh, I can give you your audio and I can give you your speakers and I can give you your amplifiers and I can give you your touch panels and I can give you your video switching. And I come from a little bit more old school where just because you can doesn't mean I want it. Um, I want a company that knows how to make these products and has made these products and makes them well, as opposed to someone who buys them cheaply as an OEM fashion, uh, because I want to know that it's going to work and I want to know that it's going to be reliable. So 
there's that factor of, yes, I want to push the envelope. I want to play with the new toys. I want to see how they're going to be there. But if it doesn't work with the rest of the vision and if it doesn't work with the rest of the system, it doesn't do me any good to be right on that bleeding edge. Okay. So let's talk about people running off cliffs. Uh, We've all had a horrible disaster or 12 in our careers. And I've always felt that people say, it's a bit like when it rains on your wedding day, oh, it's good luck. There's always that sense of, oh, well, when it all went horribly wrong, oh, well, you got wise. You know, I, I would rather be successful and rich than wise and poor. Uh, but equally, we've all screwed up at some point in our career or something horrible's happened. Do you want to share some story with us? Uh, off the top of my head, I can think of three instances where I was, uh, well, now that I think about four instances where I was, <laughs> <laughs> there's always more when it yeah, comes we've to only got We've only got finite <laughs> time here. I don't want anyone weeping through the, through the um, thing. I was a broadcast engineer at Clear Channel Radio and in San Francisco, and I had been there for about eight months, and it just wasn't quite fitting. And I kept thinking, you know, I should be doing more. I should have this. I should have that. And it was it was at the very beginning of my career, and I there was this this semblance. And I know the millennial generation gets hit for this really, really hard uh, of the concept that they believe uh, there's this self-justification there's there's that stereotype that goes with that millennial that oh i i'm justified just because or be i've graduated i know more and it's this whole thing of you can't buy into that and i i honestly don't think it's just millennials i think that just because there's more of them and we're seeing it a lot more with the tech evolution that there's more of them in higher positions that that opinion and that stance of self-justification has become a little bit more visually prevalent to all of us. Um, so I got hammered for that when I was at Clear Channel of, I thought I deserved more than I did. And I lost my job for that. Um, I had similar circumstances at a live sound event production company, which was my first job out of college of, I should be doing more. And then I had a really, really bad event that to this day, I still can't figure out what went wrong. I made the system work, but it wasn't working the way that it was supposed to. And it was a very awkward situation. And I ended up, you know, not, not continuing on with them after that. Um, but the moment that really hit me was when I was in San Diego for a very brief time working in a nightclub and it was a staff of two for a 1500 person nightclub. And again, it was the chip on my shoulder of, you know, hey, I can do more. I can take care of this. I can do this. And my boss came down one day and he basically said, you know, you've been you've been mouthing off a little bit more than you should. And, you know, that's we can't have that. And that was when I learned the lesson that I have held true to this day, which is uh, always remember being in sound and doing live events and things like this. A trained monkey could do your job. (laughs) And. I took that to heart of, you know, there's sound while nuanced and artistic is not a complicated thing in overall. And mach- I mean, at this point, we, we rely so much on auto mixers and things like that. Yeah, we rely on computing power to handle things like that. So to a certain extent, yeah, a trained monkey could do that job at this point. And I've kept that in the back of my mind of, of don't get ahead of myself. You know, you've, you've got to put the work in, you've got to put the time in and you've got to earn your, 
you've got to earn your armor, you got to earn your stripes, you got to earn your medals, and you got to take your lumps. No matter how crappy the gig is, you got to stick through it because what happens on the other side is the next opportunity. Okay. So speaking of opportunity, we've all done it. Uh, I, I, as we were talking about just before the we started this um, podcast, I in the mid or in the early nineties decided that oh no 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 networking's not going anywhere. I mean, who would want anything based on TCP/IP? What's this IP thing anyway? I'll do color printers. I still sit here and think to myself, what was I thinking? What's yours? You must have had a career. Oh, look, they all went off and became millionaires type decision. I should have opened uh, or I should have started my a home studio and stayed with recording. Uh, it's the one thing that I, I – the, the weird part is I hated it. Uh, I hated studio recording. It was monotonous. It was painful. But uh, because I was a musician and because uh, I got trained in audio and I got trained in studio recording – uh, over the course of time, I've gotten very tied in with a lot of events, um, specifically the Barry Producers Conference, uh, California Lawyers for the Arts, um, and one or two others where I get called in and I speak on behalf of uh, a, a song critiquing panel. So I, I sit on a panel with uh, music publishers and songwriters and producers, and basically they call me in as as the audio guy to analyze to analyze the songs and analyze the mixes and see what they could be doing and one of the things i find myself talking a lot about is is physics the physics of sound in space and how it relates and understanding how to mix a track so that everything sounds like it's just in the same room and if i had kept my home studio or built a studio or worked in the studio and kept that on the side I would have a very, very nice secondary <laughs> income at this point because the question that always comes up is, well, well, can I come to your studio and talk to you? Uh, I don't have one. No, you can send me anything and I'll listen to it and I won't charge you and you know, it's yeah. fine. I'll offer you critiques. But had I, had I started a studio or, or done something, I think there was a, mm-hmm. it's a missed opportunity that I wish I had kept up with. Hey, you've got a stand. All you need now is about another 200 grand's worth of equipment and a bit more room. <laughs> Um, this is true. So let's talk about technology that's happening now. Uh, I know that you're involved in all sorts of things, including government oversight on technology and all the hidden stuff that most people don't seem to pay any attention to. But from a technological point of view, what's caught your eye recently? Um, well, as of today, uh, when we're recording this, uh, I actually I was uh, quoted as talking about one of the top products of 2015 that's changed the way I design systems is being the uh, QSC, QSIS, uh, Digital Signal Processing System. And it's, it's one of those things I go back to the distribution of signal and the distribution in, of, of either analog or digital signal, actually. And QSC just put something together with this generation of QSIS products that it allows for so much expansion, so much flexibility, um, I can transport signal between devices through a proprietary network protocol uh, called QLAN. I can send signal any digital protocol I want. Um, they're working heavily to, develop, to continue on with AES-67. So what seems to be the way that most audio transports want to go is a standardization. Uh, 
and the flexibility of the product in terms of size of system. I can go with a very small one RU box in my systems. It has every pro all the processing power I could ever need and all the flexibility because I could just build and grow or expand it as necessary. I've put it in things as small as a, a conference room and as large as a convention center. And it's just that expansion capability brings so much to my world. Does it redefine success in the market? What's that? Does it redefine success in the market? Uh, I think it's, for me, it's redefined what a large commercial audio system is. Hmm. Um, previously, there were other boxes that were used for large systems, and it was always, well, we'll send a single feed from this box over to that box. But the interchange and the way that this uh, allows it's, as it's come out and as it's expanded and grown has redefined how flexible I can truly be with it. Okay. Uh, next question. I like to ask most of my guests this one. Uh, millennials, they appear to be everywhere. Um, not that I'm an old curmudgeon or anything. But I am, but that's a side, side point. So millennials are everywhere. They're taking over the world. We're, we're told they're the most important people on the planet, and they appear to know all the answers although I think we've already discussed that maybe we don't know all the answers at whatever age we are. What would your advice be to those millennials that are coming into the workplace? Cause I see them all the time. And so do you, uh, what would you say? Uh, I would tell them that th there's two pieces of advice I, I like to give to millennials. Number one is uh, just because you think you deserve it doesn't mean you're going to get it. And the second piece of advice that I tend to give them is just because you think that's what you want to be doing doesn't mean that's what you're suited to be doing. And the reason I stick to those two pieces is oftentimes when I'm talking, uh, oftentimes when I'm talking to millennials in a um, advisory role, it's because they want to get into the music industry. And all these people, you know, the question I always ask is, how many of you are musicians and think you're going to be a musician? And how many of you are producers and think you're going to be a producer? Great. 10% of you are going to succeed and the rest are going to fail. It's just a blatant statement that's very, very true. It's, 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 it's hard to make it in an industry like the music industry and the technology industry, while more expansive and with more opportunities, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get to do the thing that they're looking to do. Um, because of the way technology is developed and because of the way society is developed, we are seeing careers that didn't even exist five years ago. I mean, social media manager is now a job that pays six figures in Silicon Valley. Your job is to monitor your presence and create a message on social media, something that's very, very passing. It's literally the new commercials, only instead of being a 30-second spot that somebody sees when they're watching the popular sitcom on television, it's now that thing they see for 13 seconds before Snapchat decides to delete it the following day. Like, this is a six-figure position just trying to create interest in product. That didn't exist five years ago, ten, uh, seven years ago. And that evolution means that these kids that are coming out of college today, uh, the Gen Zs now, uh, which are starting to go from you know age 18 wonder wonderkin technologists to straight to technology companies, are, are going to have opportunities that didn't exist today when they start really getting beyond the entry level positions. So keep your eyes open, keep your ears open and, and see where the opportunities lie. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's a great 
statement. I, I think it reminds me, and I forget who said it, someone once said that the very stupid are often very sure of themselves. And the wiser you become, the less certain of your position you are because you see all the other possibilities. Mm. And I think it's true, and this is certainly not a political podcast, but I will say this, it does disturb me the number of politicians who are absolutely certain of their position. And they're the ones who seem to have the most stupid positions. And I think that millennials are in the same position and I can't blame them for it. I remember at 20, I knew all the answers. Mm -hmm. By the time I got to 47, I realized I don't know anything. In fact, I think it was Socrates who said, I am wise because I know nothing. Yeah, exactly. And the more we see of the world around us, and I, for me, it's been the last two years that have, have changed me and my career for the better, I think. And when all of a sudden the Verizon case of the net neutrality issue came down and the courts ruled in favor of Verizon saying that what the FCC had done in 2014 was not right according to what they were able to do. And then they started talking about what they wanted to do. And I remember sitting there looking at this plan that they had and going, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. And the more I read and the more I researched and the more I looked into it, it's like, I, I didn't even know these things were happening. I found out about um, advocacy technology groups that I have never heard of that now I'm sitting here following and trying to interact with and, and trying to reach out to, to get them to tell a story of the AV industry. That's very, very small and extraordinarily forgotten when it comes to talking about how technology evolves, because we're often times consumed with the consumers because there's more of them, even though it, it's debatable where the most money can be spent in technology sometimes beyond an iPad or beyond an iPhone. Well, it, it was interesting to me that when we got together, what was it, 18 months ago now at Infocom, um, we talked about net neutrality, and I think we both struggled to find an industry that was even interested in discussing it, which was pretty scary when the way the rules were being written at that time, it was entirely possible for someone to come along and basically switch off video conferencing, as an example, as a viable technology to run on the internet. And, and it still is. <laughs> and it still is. And there, were, and there was Bob Romano from Avaya. There was Rob Woods from Blue Jeans and, and me and you in a room screaming, boys, we better look out for this stuff. And there's 10,000 people in the room next to us all going happily selling away more boxes to more people. And it's like, Someone could switch all of this off for you if you don't pay attention. It really shocked me, actually. That, that was a real awakening for me, and I really appreciate you doing that. Oh, well, thank you. That was, a, that was one of my uh, – I had a lot of fun doing that show. That was a good time. It was a good time. But, but So what's the next step, right? I know you've kept up with this stuff. So where are we now? So we are at the point um, – so the net neutrality rules came out in March, 313 pages. I read them. They're actually sitting next to me. They're always sitting next to me when I'm at my home office um, because I like to reference them. I, I, since the court case came down in January of 2014, I have written 19 articles on the subject matter talking about it. Wow. Uh, we are now two and a half weeks away 
because now that the rules came down and basically they said, well, everything has to be treated equally, except these things over here, which aren't important to you, except they are important to the AV industry. So, Like um, what, for example? Um, so there's, a, there's an exemption for uh, cache data networks. Uh, there's an ex- exemption for VPNs. There's an exemption for specialized services, as they call them, which would be what we'd consider to be video conferencing or point-to-point communications. I mean, I talk about video streaming. Well, if you're streaming over a WAN, a wide area network that's going from your building in Austin to my building here in the Bay Area, that's crossing ISPs. The ISPs have the capability of blocking, throttling, or forcing paid prioritization over that because it's a specialized service of point-to-point communications. But if it's a software – and I actually got to the point in in July where I annoyed the FCC press office so much with my questions, uh, they threw an attorney at me. Um, and I got the attorney to admit I was right that, uh, they aren't protecting hard codecs. They are protecting soft codecs. So the way that we're doing this, uh, how can they tell the difference at a packet level? Um, that's something that I've, I haven't even gotten to deal with on a technology standpoint, but basically it just boils down to because it's going through a website, uh, and it's accessible from any browser that is what they deem as something that is protected because video conferencing codecs are going point to point as an IP address to an IP address and aren't web browser accessible necessarily. That is not considered a protected service, uh, okay. which means it can be blocked, throttled or forced paid prioritization. And it's, and that nuance is really, really specific and important when you look at the evolution of the internet of things and you look at how those devices are going to be communicating especially given the fact that 4g and lte networks were in the net in the open internet rules rolled into the protection services so all of your data on your phones all of the rules for protection apply to those as well okay and it gets more and more the, the the snowball just keeps going at this point and so we have uh all the isps of or a uh, several of the groups that represent ISPs sued the FCC saying they didn't have the right to do this. And all those court cases are coming up on December 4th in the same court that ruled in favor of Verizon in 2014. So it'll be interesting to see what's accepted, what's not accepted. Is this kicked down? Is it appealed? Does it go to the Supreme Court? Uh, does Congress still decide to get involved and, and make a, make a bigger mess of it? And where does it all go from here? And it's, it, it's, it's all up in question at this point. It, gets it seems to me that the biggest problem we have is that the people who are making decisions on these rules have really no idea what they're talking about. I mean, it's highly technical stuff. They are being pushed, I'm sure, by lobbyists from very large ISPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really no one i mean I, how many congressmen or judges have you met who have any idea what technology is other than their grandchildren coming to them with something saying oh look here's some pictures of you granddad on the internet i mean the- well the perfect example of this is so uh, right after the paris attacks the fcc was in for a, a hearing uh, by an oversight committee of congress And one of the congressmen that was on that committee actually said, why can't we just shut down Facebook and Twitter and social media so we can prevent them uh, from communicating, them being the terrorists? And the entire internet just sort of stood there for a moment and went, 
what's wrong with you? And how do you think technology works? Yeah, um, the, the whole idea that you can, that there's sort of one big room with a with huge on-off switch for the internet click. I mean, it shows a level of, of uh, one has to assume wanton ignorance. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a true believer that ignorance is now entirely a choice. For anyone who lives in the developed world, any answer you want is basically available on Wikipedia to a greater or lesser extent or, or somewhere on the internet. You will get all the information you could possibly need to turn around and say, let's just switch off the internet shows to me a level of ignorance that surely should disqualify you from public office. And yet it doesn't. But uh, there are groups out there that are, I mean, we have the Electronic Frontier Foundation, we have public knowledge, we have uh, Engine. Um, These are, and that's just off the top of my head. And well, public knowledge tends to be a telecom one. Engine and EFF are more known for being uh, left-leaning advocacy groups for technology and there are other ones out there um which off the top of my head i just can't think of but there there's a lot of people out there trying to advocate uh for better understanding in in government so that because uh, our laws were written around physical mediums for copyright so you look at what the music industry is going through in that respect our our regulations were when the internet came out they didn't know what it was and so we're still trying to fit an octagonal peg in a round hole here and saying, well, this is what it is and this is what we're going to call it, regardless of whether or not it fits. That's what we just keep trying to do because to try and write something brand new at this point in time, given the polarization that we, we are going through, it's just near next to impossible. So it becomes, well, let's make it fit in this category because it's the best we can do and we can get it through for now. Okay. Now, on the podcast page i will put links to all of your stuff but on the off chance someone's listening to this in the car and wants to just type it in now give me a web address they can go to to get hold of all of your material everything Everything i've written on net neutrality can be found at www.soundreason all one word dot org uh forward slash net dash neutrality dash posts and if you type that while driving and don't crash, I will be surprised. <laughs> but we'll put all the links onto the website as well. So, and, and, of course, we'll put uh, other materials up. So, Josh, this has been fascinating, and I really appreciate it. You're, you're left field somewhat from the other guests I've had in there, and I mean that in a very positive way, highly technical, not in my personal wheelhouse of video conferencing, but an adjacent field and you're fighting a fight for an industry that doesn't appear to even notice there's one going on. So I thank you on behalf of a very strange business. Um, Appreciate that. Any last thoughts that you want to share with us? Um, Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Uh, Really what it comes down to is, the uh, a lesson I learned I was taught by a chemistry professor in in high school was never stop thinking for yourself. Oftentimes, I, I find that we get into habits, particularly in the AV industry, and people forget that there are always new ways of doing things. There are always new ways of looking at things, um, and to be so myopic and only have one vision and one way of looking at it is is probably the most detrimental way 
uh, to move forward in life. So no, that's, that's my thought. Couldn't agree more. The, the whole idea of we've always done it this way is the death knell of any business. All right, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for getting involved. Until next time, everyone, we'll see you soon. Thank you.